The human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine. And we will learn to utilize each of them to the maximum and learn to make decisions about what we want and how we want to feel. What a concept. And one we will explore today on The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. On our program, we'll address who you are, why you're here on this planet, how to go within, how to come to know what you believe and why. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're broadcasting from Fountain Hills, Arizona. And as always, I am so delighted that you can be with us. If you haven't gone to the blog, please go there. Uh, see our guest picture, read his bio, watch the videos. You'll love the videos. You know, when we watch an action movie, and most of us do, we see death-defying feats. We see men jumping off buildings or from one building to another. We see them falling off the side of a mountain or smashed up in a terrible car accident after a high-speed chase. They, they go into burning buildings. They fight bloody fights. You know what I mean. We bite our nails while they're at death's edge, and we're hoping they survive. We're really not aware, though, that it's not the star of the movie who's doing that blood pressure raising action. It's the stunt double. He's the one who deserves the applause and the, how did he do that? Today we have a stunt man with us, and he's known in the movie world for being daring, ambitious, and hardworking. He's in England, the UK, so we're doing a little Skype thing here. Um, I think you'll be delighted. During his 20 years as a top Hollywood movie stuntman, Curtis Rivers received a Screen Actors Guild Award, gained prestigious inclusion into the Hollywood Stuntman's Hall of Fame, and broke two Guinness World Records. He's appeared in all kinds of movies that I'm sure most of you have seen, like Captain America, The First Avenger, Thor, The Dark World. He was in The Da Vinci Code, with Tom Hanks, which was one of my favorites. He also uses his expertise with goal achievement and fear management to deliver compelling presentations. He's also the author of The Fearless Path, newly released, What a Movie Stuntman's Spiritual Awakening Can Teach You About Success. It is my absolute joy to welcome to the Self-Improvement Show, Curtis Rivers. Curtis, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure, Irene. It really really is a pleasure to join you today. And it's uh, getting late at night there, and you've been working hard all day. So, yeah. Uh, And and in fact, I understand you just left uh, doing some filming for the BBC. Uh, Is that correct? Maybe you can tell us about it. Yes, that's absolutely correct. I've just done a 14-hour day. It's uh, just just a little over 8 o'clock p.m. over here in England. And I've just been working on a a Christmas drama, uh, a a comedy that's going to be Oh, I hope we get to see. A comedy needs a stuntman, huh? (laughs) <laughs> There's lots of stunts in it. This is a, this is a Christmas Carol. It's a spoof of uh, the, the Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol. And uh, it, it, it basically a studio is ransacked and taken over by amateurs uh, oh. during a live broadcast. And it all goes wrong. And there are lots of Oh, I hope we get to see it over on this side of the pond. Let's start at the beginning. Tell us about yourself. 
Who is Curtis Rivers? Well, to be honest, despite the uh, that amazing uh, intro, thanks very much for that, Irene. Um, I, I would say I'm a, actually a really regular, uh, normal guy deep down um, who just happened to stumble across a little formula uh, to achieving my dreams. I didn't know how I did it uh, through my life, different things I've done, becoming a stuntman, breaking world records and things. But I now share that formula with others, and uh, I basically smile as I watch those people go on to, to conquer fear and achieve their dreams. It's something I really love and I'm really passionate about. You wanted to be a stuntman from the time you were a very young child, and what is it that drew you to this? Because obviously there's a lot of danger involved. And is it everything you hoped it would be as a child? I think, um, in, many, in yes and no. In many ways, it's uh, it, it's been bigger and better than I can ever imagine. I never imagined the amount of travel all over the world, the people I would meet, the places I would experience. So on that level, it was uh, amazing. Uh, and, and the flip side of that was, you know, the job itself is so much more technical and complicated and extraordinarily difficult to get into. And so that was much more difficult than I thought. But overall, it's been an amazing career so far. And I'm still going, just just gone 21 years now the other day uh, in the business. And I still love it as much now as I did when I first started. Oh, so the answer to the, you know, yes, it met your expectations. Tell us a little bit about life as a stuntman, because, you know, I've never been able to talk to a stuntman. I'm absolutely delighted. You know, I see all these wild things going on in the movies, and I think, gee, I hope he didn't get hurt when he's doing that. Uh, tell us what it's like to do some of those things, and what's the most dangerous things you've done? Oh, I cover a wide range of things from leaping off tall buildings. You know, I've fallen 80, 90 feet uh, into an airbag. I fell off a building 140 feet high backwards attached oh. to a small wire. I've uh, been set on fire and rolled a car at 45 miles per hour and done countless other stunts on horses, underwater, underwater escapes uh, in the Count of Monte Cristo and just a wide range of, uh, you know, anything you can imagine from swashbuckling and fist fights. So you've got to be kind of like multifaceted and yet the same work ethos uh, is involved, you know, in terms of planning. It really isn't, despite what it sounds. It sounds like a contradiction, but it, it's not a daredevil profession. They don't last very long at all. Uh, so it's very well thought out, well rehearsed, mental rehearsal, and then physical rehearsal, lots of tests before we turn over those cameras. I didn't know you were in the Count of Monte Crisco. Crisco. I'm the Crisco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Crisco. Um, And I remember that scene very well. It's nice to know that you were the one that had me at, you know, biting my fingernails and doing all those things we do with scary movies. Um, You've written a number of books. Now, your latest is The Fearless Path, uh, What a Movie Stuntman's Spiritual Awakening Can Teach You, and that's in capital letters, about success. What compelled you to write this book or your other books about your work? It was being asked the same question over the years because people who who knew me um, 
know that I'm a regular guy. I'm not some ex-Olympic athlete who was, in, you know, won gold in high diving and then got in a movie stunt work doing the falls. I was just the kid at home watching TV. I used to watch The Fall Guy in the early 80s, if anyone remembers that, with Lee Majors playing Colt Seavers. I was the ordinary kid at home who watched TV and thought, I really want to do that. So somehow, despite suffering from travel sickness and not being a particularly sporty child, I did manage to become a stuntman and, and highly qualified. And that made people often say, God, Curtis, you're the last person I thought who would get into doing that. How did you turn yourself around into achieving that I, I didn't know the answer and, and and those questions came back you know when I broke world records and, and won awards and it got me to thinking about that like you know I don't know the answer I was curious what is it that I'm doing different that you know allows me to eventually achieve my dreams even though they're quite audacious you know breaking a world record makes you the best in the world you know it's not a everyday thing and that then led to uh, surprisingly like quite a spiritual journey that I then wanted to share with people because once you know that knowledge, I shared it with close friends and they went on to achieve their dreams and I just couldn't, you know, inst instinctively just wanted to tell everybody and what better way to do that than to write a book and just pour my heart out and explain, you know, how I do this so that everybody can have what I have. And I will say it's a very good book and you know, I really would encourage everyone to get it. I know it's available on Amazon. I'm sure it's available on all the major bookstores, both here and uh, in Europe. I, I really appreciate your pouring your heart out. And in fact, it reminds me very much of the book, The Celestine Prophecy, which came out, I think, in the 70s. Um, it, it, it keeps your interest like that, um, we're going to talk a lot about it. In the introduction to your book, you say some we're talking about messages will speak to you fully. To, will speak fully to your conscious mind. Others will creep into your subconscious region. Some messages will not enter your mind until you're reading this book for the second or third time. Talk a little bit about the kind of messages people can look for in the book. So some of them um, are actual messages where in the opening uh, chapter I leave a physical message. If you count every 24th letter or F and you make a little circle around that it gives you a message to prove that you can be reading one thing whilst in your, your subconscious mind is actually missing something and uh, receiving information. So I studied uh, in uh, NLP, uh, Neuro Linguistic Programming. And that, so there are messages and line breaks and the way paragraphs are written that uh, leave positive affirmations in the mind of the reader. So that they're just in there to make you feel good, to drive a point home. And they're talking directly to your subconscious mind on that level. So you wouldn't necessarily notice that's what's happening when you're reading the book. But it's planting all very, very positive, encouraging, aspirational uh, you know, intentions in your subconscious mind. So that's what that's about, to illustrate that there's a lot of little messages in there, all very positive about looking and phrasing at, you know, your conversations in a positive light uh, and just the tremendous power that the subconscious mind has, you know, when loaded with those instructions. You know, the, the book is really a, a wonderful spiritual book, but you talk about a time in your life when you, you say you were drifting directionless 
and it was not a happy time, particularly in your life. Explain how that affected you and what you learned from that period of directionless, because I think we all, i that's a broader generalization, but m- many of us have that time. And it almost seems like we have to have it so we know when we really find what it is we're looking for or what we are needing, we recognize it and grab a hold of it. What was your directionless time like? You know, at first I didn't realize that I was directionless. I didn't realize something was missing. And, you know, having given this a lot of thought uh, and, and reflection, I realized that, as you mentioned, you know, since being a small child, I had that ambition to become a stunt performer. And I, I took action on that. and I became obsessed with this goal, which you need to, you know, and took daily action, which is essential. And I, ho- I always had that thing to aim for. So the stuntman was the goal, but maybe the little sub-goal was becoming a black belt in judo. So I would work and work, and there was always that target, and I'd get that black belt. It was great. And then I'd move on to the next thing. I'd learn to, to do, you know, a diving or parachuting. And then I became the stuntman, and then the ambition was to be in a James Bond movie, uh, and that, that happened. You know, I had a fist fight with James Bond on the silver screen. It was amazing. And I, I always was aiming for something else, not realizing and not stopping for a moment to be grateful and look around me and soak up the amazing life I was living. I was always, you know, ticking a box, what's next, and, you know, enjoying it, but not really savoring it and, and living in the moment, uh, you know. I then got to a place where I'd broken the world records and just me drifting away off course, you know, I was getting married, settling down, buying the house and buying the car that I always wanted and and just something was lacking. And I, I just suddenly realized that I wasn't aiming to do anything. I just settled for this is my lot in life. You know, I've done that. I said I'd become a stuntman, I've done that. I had a good job, I traveled and I enjoyed it. But there was just something deep down on a spiritual level that wasn't being fulfilled. And I hadn't yet discovered the joy of uh, sharing and the, the more you give, the more in many, many ways you, you receive back uh, on all sorts of levels. And so it was kind of a selfish uh, monetary existence of, you know, the acquisition of things and trinkets and toys. And that obviously, to those who've traveled that path, that doesn't really, it's not true happiness. Mm-hmm. And that was the, that was being lost, you know, like a cork at sea, just bouncing around directionless. And it was quite a lonely place, uh, you know, until I discovered the things that I share in the book, which made me, you know, set course. Yeah, I call those. I call that whole phase that most of us had the phase of stuff and status. And it's yeah. interesting that you use the word settle. You know, I've been around the self improvement arena for a long time now, and everybody talks about huge problems. But I think one of the most dangerous ones that we face on a spiritual path or any path is settling. You know, it's almost deadening to settle. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the world is moving forward at such a pace. And, you know, if you're not learning and developing and growing as a human being on a daily basis, then you're kind of being left behind. If you're static and everything and everyone around you is growing, you're actually going backwards, in my opinion. You know, So uh, I never stop reading and learning. You know, you never know too much. And uh, the, 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 there's always something to look forward to, new goals to set, more people to help. And, you know, and to be evolving 
always, you know, and learning all the time. You know, you're, you're in your book, You're Climbing a Mountain. You know, it, how much of the, the book and the climbing is, is a metaphor or, you know, is this all a factual experience? Because you, you did some very interesting climbing. Yeah, sure. It's it's a, an amalgamation, really, of numerous experiences. And, and I say there's a little caveat at the start of the book, you know, to treat this as fiction. I'm using this uh, metaphorically. But, of course, I have climbed very high mountains, and a lot of the writing comes from memory and experiences. And the wisdom I receive on the mountain uh, through my guide, you know, is, is a couple of people merged into one where I've, you know, I've chained dates and orders and things to sort of tell the tale. But there's a there's lots of, you know, dip, dipping of the, the cap to certain people and, uh, you know, recounting of various adventures I've had in my life. I have to confess that I didn't get all the way to the end of the book, and yours is one of the books that I will definitely finish. Um, one of the things that... I, I loved was that every place you went, you always found a temple. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The, the people were always a little um, uh, scary in a way, but then you found the temple, and when you went into the temple, there was peace and food and a place to sleep. You know, it, it, uh, to me, that's a wonderful metaphor of life. You know, look for the temple. On a daily basis, look for the temple. Exactly that may that. not be what you intended, but you know that's a, one. That, that's one of the that, that is one of the things, and it's um. And when you finish the book, the last chapter will explain a few facts, and then you'll go, oh, and the penny will drop, and you'll go back and and understand the hidden message in each temple. So leaving breadcrumbs and and that's sort of ah, okay, yeah. You know, things got a little interesting here. Um, you, you say in the book. You attract into your life exactly what you hold in your mind for a sustained period of time. This is the basic principle in life that so many overlook. You know, this sounds really simple, and we hear it all the time on this spiritual path. You know, but the question is, how do you go about doing that? How can you hold something in your mind so continuously and so clearly that you manifest it into your life. It's not easy. It's it, it, it's it's as difficult as you you make it really. You know, a lot of people think that it's not easy, and then that becomes <laughs> your reality. Okay, it's not easy. Then you know, it's like that genie saying, "Okay, your wish is my command." It isn't easy. The truth is, you know, if you really want it, and you you've got this knowledge, and you write down on paper, and you get clear about your goals. We've all heard it a billion times. There's a lot of truth in that. And explaining the book, various techniques that I've learned um, to quieten the mind, to still your mind. You don't have to be chanting Om and be surrounded in candles and burning incense. You can just go to somewhere quiet. Nowadays, you can get noise-canceling headphones, you can you yeah. know, even in a city. Just go somewhere quiet. And there's the various techniques described in the book. For example, you know, if you're trying to visualize your, your, your front door, some people just cannot visualize that, that front door. It's just murky, and they don't know whether they're meant to be looking for you know, an actual HD quality image or just a fuzzy image. But when you start to incorporate the senses and you just simple which side of the door is the handle on, and you start to think about that and then reach out and touch it. Is it cold? You know, is it a metal handle? If it has a handle, does it, where does the, where's the mailbox? Is it nearby? 
and bring in the various senses, you know, looking at it, what color is it, uh, sounds, if you knock on it, has it got a glass, and spend some time just hanging around that and use that as a reference. And, then, and you know, within that month, within 28 to 30 days, just doing that once a day for five to 10 minutes, you start to really uh, hone in those skills. And the next time you try that, you can just go straight in uh, and visualize it perfectly. Now, I love what you did with visualization and with meditation. You know, for, for the people who are listening that have trouble with meditation, you know, part of the trouble is that we try to make it so hard and you make it so easy. You know, it's like you've distilled it down to its essence and and said, here it is, just, you know, just take it and go with it. I, I really appreciate that because, you know, we have so many gurus who make things so hard. Uh, you, may, you may not agree with me on that one, but it does seem that we make something easy and beautiful very difficult. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and I've been there. I've, I've tried all sorts of gadgets and transmitters that bring the brain into a theta state or I've, I've listened to hemi-syncing uh, CDs with my headphones on and tried all sorts of different complex and uh, you know the reality of just being at peace in a peaceful place and listening to the breath getting a certain posture and breathing in and counting and just concentrating it, it can be as simple as that and it should be uh, a natural it's one of the most natural states to be in uh, so yeah we can overthink it and overcomplicate it and it doesn't need to be that complicated No, it really doesn't. And on that note, we're going to take a break. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back with more with Curtis Rivers. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions, some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at voiceamericaempowerment.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into the self-improvement show with your host dr irene conlon 
Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the self-improvement blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the self-improvement show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. Our guest today is Curtis Rivers. He has written a wonderful book called The Fearless Path, What a Movie Stuntman's Spiritual Awakening Can Teach You About Success. We're talking with him. He's in the UK. We're over here in the US. And we're talking a little bit on Skype today. Um, Curtis, we've been talking about some of the things in your book. Uh, one of the things you say is this, the only true way to change your future is to learn how to use your mind correctly in the present. How do you use your mind correctly? Well, one of the first things people uh, tend to overlook is, you know, you do definitely attract into your life the things that you think about uh, often on on a consistent level. And... If I go back into my own life, I had got a lot of these things right. I was instinctively and intuitively doing a lot of the exercises that I talk about in the book and attracting success in business, uh, in my private life and relationships, um, you know, charitable endeavors, spiritual matters. But one thing that I didn't get right uh, was, was the wealth pillar, if you like. No matter what I did, no matter how much I earned, I always ended up with the same few dollars at the end of the year that that was left and that was the one area when I really analyzed it that I thought came from a place of of lack and limitation and my my language around money which I probably inherited from my parents you know money doesn't grow on trees what do you think I am Rockefeller those kind of comments had been soaked up by my subconscious and I used to speak the words of, you know, not enoughness, you know, uh, of, of being poor and uh, of being, you know, skint, as you say in the UK, not having uh, enough, you know, uh, how am I going to pay those bills? I'll talk about the word debt. If For anybody who's, who's got debts, the, the worst thing you can do is think and talk about debts. You need to be thinking and talking about financial independence, financial freedom, saving. And it can mean the same thing. You know, you can think... Uh, you know, instead of saying I'm, I'm, I'm so poor, you can say I wish I had more money. I wish I had more. It's this, it means the same thing, but you're saying a, a positive spin on that, and and so you, you, they're very powerful. The thoughts that we hold in our minds consistently drift down into our subconscious, and they create the feelings, and it's them feelings on a daily basis that are really responsible for our actions. So if we're not careful, we kind of self-sabotage. You know, and we can be lazy and we can not do the things, we can not spot the signs and keep ourselves prisoners. So I turned that around and very, very quickly, you know, within the space of a couple of months, my life changed completely in that department. Um, you know, just it just things suddenly became just a lot easier and flowing. And I went with the flow, I stopped swimming upstream and I relaxed, <laughs> took a breath and just started drifting downstream with the current, going with the flow and opportunities happened, doors opened. Uh, little in, ideas of inspiration about opening a little saving fund for that college fund, or these lots of little ideas, and suddenly I was earning more in a month than I used to earn in a year. It's, it's lovely to hear that. How important is gratitude to you and to this process of um, 
wealth, I guess, or abundance. Abundance covers a lot of things. How important is gratitude? Well, to me, uh, gratitude is absolutely essential. And without the, the gratitude, you know, on a daily, regular basis, um, you know, the whole thing can collapse. Towards the end of the book, I, I talk about uh, a, a building that is supported by seven pillars. And gratitude is one of those pillars. And, and it's designed in such a way that if cracks appear in any of those pillars, the whole building collapses. And the people at the, the monastery, they look after this particular building in a certain way. So that, like watering plants, basically, that you sort of nurture every pillar, you don't overlook them, you know. So your body, you know, health and fitness might be a pillar. Uh, you know, your financial area of your life is a pillar. Your relationship's absolutely key. Spiritual would be a pillar. Um, uh, mental, you know, the mind, education, reading good books. Uh, charity, you know, the, the joy of giving, uh, giving freely, you know, with a good heart is the pillar. And, and finally, gratitude. And the point being, that none of those are more important, you know, than anything else. And if somebody just looks at one or two of those and they're just focused on keeping fit and they've got a great body and they work out at the gym, but they're a terrible husband or wife, you know, then cracks will appear in that relationship and the whole thing will, will come to shipwreck. And so it's about just accepting and realizing that we all have these areas and, and one of those often overlooked is gratitude. Just the ability to just sit back. So if you're late for work and you're stuck in traffic, you know, cursing and beeping your horn isn't going to get you there any quicker. And if you mm-hmm. learn to wind your window down, take a deep breath and just look out the window, grateful for the sunshine and you know, maybe a bit of wildlife that you see or you smile at somebody across the traffic and roll your eyes and things just change. Your, your whole being and your rest of your day just goes much more you know, fluidly and then you just go with the flow and you end up having a nice day. You know, you can miss your train instead of cursing and, you know, kicking something and you could maybe realize the next train in 30 minutes, go for a little walk and you might come across a, a cafe or bump into some sort of good chatting at the train station and if you look at the positives in and you're just grateful for that opportunity. I've never looked around this neighborhood, I've got 30 minutes, I'll, I'll go and have a coffee at that place if I was fancy to coffee or wherever. Um, and your life just becomes magical. Everything's a journey. Everything happens for a reason. Uh, and it's eventually, you know, you're taking part in your own TV show, almost, you know, like a, a reality TV show. And you're just looking around for what's next and smiling to see what the next opportunity is. You know, it's interesting to hear these concepts from a stuntman. Um, I, guess, I guess I'm stereotyping you here. Uh, but it's so refreshing to hear it. I imagine that your life when you're working is quite hectic. Um, If you just finished a 12-hour day, it has to be, and it has to be stressed. How do you deal with the stress you experience in the kind of lifestyle you have in your employment? It's such a wonderful contrast, who you are and what you do. Uh, and you're absolutely right, and you, uh, you're you correct in saying it can be hectic business, there's a lot of travel, a lot of airports, uh, on the set it's hectic, hundreds of people, you know, I'm the head of department, and when there's a, a dangerous turn about to take place with a few hundred people on the set, they all look to me to call action uh, and to set it up, and, and if it goes wrong, it's, it's you know, my head on a stick, so there's a bit of pressure there. But the same ethos that I, I hold in my personal life, 
I carry forward, you know, if I've meditated in the morning, which I do each morning, and I recommend everybody does, you know, to start your day. And you train your mind to react, you know, to, to respond rather than react. And that's, that's a key part of that, you know. So if you've got a director shouting, you, you can react and say, don't talk to me like that. Who do you think you're talking to? And it can all become an argument. And that, that's maybe something I might have done 20 years ago. And but I would like well, respond now. Well, you know, I would look maybe if somebody shouted at me and thinking, okay, he's raised his voice, he's starting to lose control. How can I, you know, handle this situation and bring him back on board and put his, you know, put an arm around him and say, listen, don't worry, we've got it under control. If this goes wrong, this will happen. And just deliver their shots. So it's communication. You know, early days. Uh, like I, I use this technique of you know uh, visualization so much that meeting a director I will try and get inside his head and say you, you tell me exactly what you want and that's how storyboards in the film business come about where we sit down and we physically draw the frame they want exactly what they want to see and then I can deliver that to them so whether I'm talking business and I want you know doing a talk or, or a workshop then I, I need to speak to the managing director or the CEO and what, what do they actually want? You know, what, what is their real vision? Get it on paper, plan the whole thing out. Then we can communicate. Nothing's missed, uh, and, and that's the key, really. So it's a, a mixture of being in a in good mental space, uh, higher vibration, uh, to be able to be calm and to respond instead of react, and to be really clear and, and get an idea of exactly what they want, so that you can give that to them. You brought up so many thoughts. And saying that one little discourse, I really don't know where to go next. Uh, when, when you were talking about visualization in the book, you said any obstacles you choose to create are just that, obstacles you put in the way. Talk a little bit about how most of us, many of us, put obstacles in our own way. And how do you, how do you help remove them? Or how do you... How, 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 do, how do you get to the awareness, I guess is what I want to ask you, the awareness that you are indeed putting an obstacle in your own path? And how do you share that with others? How do you help them see that, you know, their obstacles are there of their own making? Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's about uh, the knowledge and the understanding of, of how that whole thing works, the, the whole fear principle. And, you know, in a really abridged sort of, uh, you know, succinct way, uh, putting aside the fear of a dog running across a road, barking, foaming at the mouth and, that, you know, your heartbeat raises and you know, adrenaline kicks in. That's, that's a different sort of fear, a primeval, you know, fight or flight response from the reptilian part of the brain at the back of the skull. But when we go to and talk about mind rather than the physical computer of the brain and you think of your mind and how that works, that's loosely split into two. There's the like an iceberg. There's a tiny bit which is your conscious mind at the top, poking over the water, and a deeply, deeply powerful subconscious mind. And the whole fear principle it, it works like this: you are running your software, your daily life is in that big part under the water of the iceberg. So if you're running, if you just go back to money, just as a, an example, if you're earning forty thousand a year, then you're running software from lots and lots of thoughts and habits in that subconscious mind, uh, like, like computer software for 40,000. And then you think you want to go for a job that's 80,000. So, and immediately that contrasts completely. 
at the top of the iceberg, at that a higher frequency is this thought of 80,000 and below the surface is 40. And the software says, well, it does not compute. Hang on a minute, that doesn't feel good. And so it starts to conjure up uh, self-defense mechanisms. You know, what will the, what will people think if you try and get that job and you fail? Or, you know, what if you set that business up and it flops? You know, what will my wife say? She'll think I'm a failure if I set this new business up and it doesn't work out. We could go bankrupt and, and all of these little thoughts. And it's purely because it's called cognitive dissonance. There's a difference between two parts of the brain. And that's what makes you feel sick. I call it the wobble down. And it's where you can think of any excuse to do I really need that. And it gets so bad sometimes you can be kept awake at night. Now, the easiest thing in the world is to say, I'm just going to go back. You know what? 40,000 is more than enough. I was being greedy. Um, and the second you go back to that, the brain relaxes, the, the subconscious mind relaxes, uh, and you miss out on what was your God-given right to become a bigger, bolder, brighter version of yourself and to grow. Uh, and it was there. It was waiting. All you had to do, if you knew by trial and error and doing these tests that I mentioned in the feelers path, it takes about 28 to 30 days of daily activity. And that fear just goes away. It stops because what you've done is you've now pushed the thought of 80,000 down to the subconscious and that is now your new programming. And it works like unadulterated magic. The results that happen and the doors that open, the people you meet by so-called coincidence, it just then becomes an effortless because you're now running that software. Most people give in within a week or you know of having sweaty palms and sleepless nights <laughs> and think it's not for them. And, and I don't. And I recognize that feeling uh, almost on a daily basis in my working career. I still feel the nerves for when I want to step up a level and go into a slightly new venture or off on a tangent, you know, with, with speaking or training or go to a new country or write a new workshop or Anything challenging that's different, when I feel that feeling, or I, I'm kept awake at night, I smile and think, oh, I'm in the wobble zone. And then I get excited because the wobble zone is always a precursor to a very, very exciting adventure. Oh, I love that. The wobble, wobbles are always a precursor to um, an adventure, a great adventure. And I was thinking about that as you were speaking. You're in um, a profession that it's sort of on the edge of of fear for many of the things that you're called on to do. So how do you, and, and you're the head of the department, how do you get some of the people who work with you to be able to conquer the fear that they have over the next stunt? Well, I, I teach them exactly as the same as I teach uh, during a keynote speech or, or a workshop or the things that we're talking about. I have a good team, uh, you know, get to like attracts like and you attract people into your life that you, you think and feel about. And so I, I, I'm not the stereotypical stuntman and mm-hmm. a lot of my crew are into yoga and meditation and, oh, you know, good. they came in and we're quite a spiritual, deep thinking, how can we help people? How can we improve people's lives? All of us want to, whoever we meet in the business, try and leave them with a feeling of gain that they didn't have before they met us. And that's kind of an ethos. So, you know, we're, we're all on the same level and we all do visualization and we, um, we all know to, you know, breathing techniques. It's called intercostal diaphragmatic breathing. We're basically breathing in deep so that the, the stomach expands and it's a really relaxing place to go. And it's taught to actors, uh, this technique. And 
you know, before I was stunned, that, that's, a, that's a calming way to go and to put yourself into an easy state. But there's already been lots of visualization going on, a lot of, uh, you know, being in a quiet place and imagining the stunt. Something as horrific as setting yourself on fire, they won't just imagine the stunt, they'll imagine the 20 minutes of preparation of putting on the flame-proof overalls, putting on the special fireproof gels, putting on all the different tricks of the trade that we do behind the scenes, and they'll just go through in real time that whole procedure. So the next day when they turn up on set, they've already done that several times before they physically do it for real, and it's you know large, often looks exactly as they imagined it to be. And so, you know, mental rehearsal, physical rehearsal, and... You know, you can then go ahead and do that stunt. And, uh, you know, knock on wood, I've never broken a bone in my career. And I put it down to that, that preparation, the mental preparation, ahead of the physical preparation. Is this typical of other um, departments in other studios or other places um, that use a lot of stuntmen? Do they have the same, same training, the same outlook, the same ability to meditate and visualize and breathe properly or is this peculiar to your group <laughs> it's probably peculiar to my group and probably peculiar to me um but i have met a few kindred spirits who just aren't as open and it's a, a little bit of a guilty secret a guilty pleasure that they uh, <laughs> enjoy this kind of you know reading the self-help books and uh, working on things like that and have a deeper understanding and a connection with with nature and, and spiritual paths you know to, i was thinking that it would be wonderful if you could teach all the different places that you stunt in to have what you have yeah that would be great and it comes at a part uh, uh, you know in in, in life really to arrive at that place you've had a bit on a journey you know and uh, a lot of the guys uh, in the stunt profession you know because of just the nature of it it's quite macho and there's a lot of ego involved and so just the, the basic archetypal stuntman you know does have a lot of uh, walls to, to knock down and as you know you know the, the ego and the uh, you know it, it can just be a mask really hiding that real person inside who's still the, the little boy nobody talked to at school or they become the bully or the boxer or the martial artist and and you just got to strip away those layers you know but absolutely it's you know like i said at the start of this conversation and the most ordinary person that you could ever meet you know if you uh, I, I don't have you know two hands and two feet and a brain i wasn't born special in any way whatsoever but you know, just <laughs> these techniques i, I think you're a little pro- probably a little not as ordinary as you think but uh, why, this is a, a huge question. How has your spiritual life changed you, or changed you from the from before and during and now? We're always in the during. I mean, we're always walking the path and and and, and having it unfold to more um, and more. I guess I would say riches spiritual riches how has this changed your life and your outlook i think even in the last five years i've always had an interest you know as well as wanting to be a stuntman as a child i've always had an interest in in spiritual matters and known and and felt there was more to life than what i just see with my five senses and experience and you know had spiritual experiences in my youth and you know and that's 
that longing to know more, that real thirst for, for knowledge that still hasn't gone away. And I think what's changed in the last maybe five years is that the realization that, you know, it's not about the destination, it, it's, uh, it's about the journey itself. And I look back, you know, like when I was trained to be a stuntman, I was so desperate to qualify. It took seven years of uh, the actual physical part of the training to become an instructor, standard, and all these different disciplines. And I didn't really sit back and realize just how enjoyable that journey was and the people I met and the places I went. And it was just all about getting from A to B. And then when you get to B, it was all about getting to C. And it's only more recent that I've thought, you know, you never really get to that destination because it's just all about the journey. So why not sit back and look around you and breathe it in, soak it in, uh, and, and really enjoy the journey? On that journey, you've had, you know, I would say you've had probably a very exciting kind of life in terms of the people you've met, the places you've been able to go, um, the things you've been able to do and experience. Is there something that stands out to you as the highlight of all this wonderful life? It's really difficult because uh, you're quite right. I've had a, uh, I'm very, very privileged, very grateful. You know, I've had a fabulous life. I kind of feel like I'm only a quarter of the way through, but that's not true. You know, I'm nearly 50. I feel like there's so much more to do and so much more to see. And uh, I'll never stop, you know, uh, ticking off my, my goal list and uh, doing these things. But it's something as simple, to be completely honest with you. Highlights are the same as everybody else, you know, the, hearing, the, you know, the birth of a child and the first cry and, uh, and that emotion and that connection. And something very special, so that would be, you know, the birth of my children, uh, getting married and the emotion of seeing my bride walk down the aisle and those simple things where it comes down to, you know, uh, true love on all those levels, you know, as a parent, as a spouse. Uh, it's all about love at the end of the day. On a sliding scale, at one scale, you've got fear, and that's all the negativity. On the other, that I aspire to, to exist in is, is love at the end of it, and, and sharing and you know, being a good person and, and trying to help people. Oh, I couldn't have said it better. Um, is there any one particular, I guess I want to say, stunt or movie or experience like that that it stays fresh in your mind as you know, really wonderful or really scary? I think what I keep coming back to is, I mentioned uh, earlier the, the Count of Monte Cristo, and that was the first ever film where I flew overseas and really felt that I'd arrived. I'd been uh, doing stunts for almost 40 years by that point. Uh, but to get on an aircraft and fly business class and stay in a five-star <laughs> hotel and... You know, nice. looking around thinking, wow, I'm being paid to do this. We flew to Malta, we, flew, we did some filming island. I was galloping down a beach in the moon, moonlit night on a beaching island, uh, swashbuckling with Guy Pearce, sword fencing on a cliff. And God, I love that. I have to yeah. find that movie and see it again now. We're yeah. right up to the end of the show. I hate to say that. What's the, what's the message or what would you like to leave as a thought? with our listeners today, something they can sink their teeth into? Um, I guess, uh, just, just to, to put over and, and, and promise from the heart that there is a way to change your thinking, uh, you know, to, to, to navigate 
those the fears that, that come up when you try something new or aim to better your life. And you can go on to live a perfect life, you know, but it all starts with the decision to do so. You absolutely have to make that decision that the time is now. I am going to change that job. I am going to move that next phase or the new relationship, wherever it is. Uh, you know, your future life is absolutely entirely uh, in your hands. So, so why not make it a fabulous one? Absolutely. Curtis, thank you so, so much for being with us today. We had kind of a struggle getting it all together, but, um, you know, what a joy it's been to talk with you. Thank you. It's been a real joy for me. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Um, and we have to say goodbye now. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Curtis Rivers, saying thank you so much for being with us today and come back next week for more of the Self-Improvement Show. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here.